Welcome to episode 68 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Okay, welcome back to another episode. I have started back with my school year this week, and I have had the range of how things go in teletherapy. (laughs) I have had at a new school who has not done teletherapy as their service before. So we've had some, you know, faculty training and how to get, uh, coordinate getting kids on and don't think I've had a single kid hang, uh, come on time yet, (laughs) but we will get it. And I've had some kids that I could see them and not hear them. And some kids I could hear them and not see them. (laughs) And I have every kid coming and using their own laptop that the school issues them to log on. Mm. So it's not like I get it set once and then it works all day. (laughs) So as I figure these things out, I will share them with you. Um, But one thing that is saving me so far this year is because I am on my own and not using a... For this placement, I am on my own and not using a telepractice company. Um, I have gotten my own Zoom subscription. I'm so glad that they lowered the price of that to make this possible for me. But another subscription that I went ahead and got was to SLP Toolkit. Mm-hmm. And we have had Sarah and Lisa on here before in the early days of the podcast talking about this program, but it has saved me. So if you are looking for something where you are already on the computer, you don't want to have to have a piece of paper and a pencil and you know be taking notes and taking data and then somehow have to transmit it when you're already on the computer, this is one I, there are others out there, but I would suggest looking at SLP toolkit. Um, it has a great data collection system. Even more than that, it has a awesome bank of assessments, um, criterion referenced assessments, grade level assessments, and um, baselines. That is like, I just knew what I was going to do this week because I was like, there are baselines in there. I will find them and that's what we will do. So thank you to Sarah and Lisa for creating that product. It was a huge labor that they um, went into to creating that product. And that is one that I would definitely suggest looking at if you are thinking about doing telepractice on your own, but are worried about how you would just keep track of all your kids and their goals and everything. It's a great resource. Uh, Yeah. I need to get a subscription. It's hard for me at the hospital to try to integrate that in because I don't see the same kids always in the same week, maybe every other week. And then, so, I mean, it doesn't work, but overall, yeah, it's great resource and, and makes everyone's life easy if you can just document everything right there Right, right. when you have your screen open. And I actually have an instance where um, there is a parent who has come back and asked for compensatory services because the services that were provided weren't documented appropriately. Ooh. So you know, it's, it's a good reason for, and you might be able to even use that as like talking your district or school into providing um, that subscription too, because it's important Mm -hmm. to be able to show what we did with with two parents and with students. And that's a really good point from a legal perspective. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not documenting it, any parent could come in and say, you didn't Mm -hmm. serve my child. 
Mm-hmm. I want X, Y, and Z for the summer or whatever. And there's, you know, you really have no evidence to show that you did. Yep. So it's a, yeah, it's a really good point. I had not thought about it that way. Cool. Well, on the podcast today, we have um, Molly Walker, who has some origins in Utah. I think everyone knows that you and I worked together when when I was in Utah, and, and you're still in Utah, and she used to be in Utah, although now she's in California doing some great work. And uh, she's going to talk about some new research that she's doing, looking at uh, early intervention services provided through telepractice to kids and families with hearing loss. So I, I'm looking forward to, to chatting with her. Hi, it's Todd Houston. I just wanted to reach out to you, our really talented, wonderful listeners that we have, and just ask you if you want to join us. Yes. Would you like to be a content creator for the 3C Digital Media Network? We need you. We need content creators to come and join us. So if you have a blog, a webinar, a course, or maybe even a podcast that you'd like to do, we would love to speak with you. So please, if you have some ideas, email me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I'll reach out, and we can have a conversation. And so hopefully we could have you develop whatever you'd like to develop and work with us. Again, Todd at 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com, and I will be in touch. Now, back to the interview. So, Molly, welcome to the podcast. Can you share more about your background? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I am Molly Walker. I became a speech therapist um, as soon as I could straight out of high school. I knew what I wanted to do when I was in high school. I chose my college and graduate school based on knowing what I wanted to do, Um, but not necessarily the population that I wanted to work with beyond just wanting to work with children. I, for my externship for school, I was placed at a school that had the, uh, just in the elementary school, but on the same campus was a deaf and hard of hearing program for early intervention and preschool students in that district. And so, you know, about halfway through the semester, I like begrudgingly left the kids that I loved working with in elementary school to get my hours for deaf and hard of hearing kids over in the little preschool. And the first time I watched a session and walked into that school, I was like, this is what I'll do with the rest of my life. I just absolutely fell in love with it. So um, I actually switched all my hours over there and finished my semester externship over there and then knew that that was the career path that I wanted to follow. So that was really exciting. And I felt very lucky that I kind of fell into this throughout my early career, knew exactly what I wanted to do. Um, This was in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I worked at several different schools and locations around there, both public and private Um, I worked at Children's Hospital Oakland when it was Children's Hospital Oakland um, on their cochlear implant team for several years. And then we moved out of state for a short period of time. I didn't work um, while I had my children very young. And then about um, three years ago, I started working for Baby Talk, which is a program through um, Stanford and Weingarten Children's Center, which is an option school specifically for children with hearing loss, learning to listen and speak for their communication modality. 
Um, Baby Talk is a program that is all tele-intervention. There's no option for in-person. So it was, you know, at the time it was started, I think it was nine years ago or so. It was kind of very innovative, um, Mm -hmm. but it really reached a population that was not being served as well as they could be. So it was children mostly in very rural areas of California or in areas that were without a service provider, a specialized service provider in serving deaf and hard of hearing children. And the school district could contract through baby talk to serve those children, but it was all tele-intervention. So, you know, there were hiccups to it certainly, but um, we made a very easy transition into the pandemic of 2020. So that was good. Um, So I did that for about three years. I just saw a handful of kids. I was still home with my young children. So it was nice to be able to sort of pick and choose and use it as a contract thing that I could do as much or as little as I wanted to. Um, And I really felt like um, I learned through working with people who were more experienced in that program how to do telepractice. It's, you know, I was very intimidated at the beginning, feeling like this is a whole different thing. And it's so (laughs) different than being able to, you know, have some toys between you and a child and, you know, have that there, you've got a screen between you now. So that felt really different. But um, I quickly realized that my whole goal in life of working with children was not what it ended up being. And now I was working with adults because all of this was about caregiver coaching and caregiver education. It wasn't any longer about directly working with the child. And that was a really big adjustment for me just to feel like I still get the feel goods from being with these cute (laughs) little kids. But I realized how much I had to learn about adult learning styles and adult education Mm -hmm. and how to really communicate effectively with adults. So that was really exciting. Um, Then you working, sorry, working in early intervention, that is like, you do shift it to I'm teaching the adults Mm -hmm. how to interact and nobody ever taught us how to interact. (laughs) Right. You know, we learned how adult learning was in the concept of like someone who had had a stroke or something like that, but not just like caregiver teaching would be a great course. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the courses, just to feed off of that a little bit, one of the um, courses I took at some point in trying to figure this out was about adult education. So I have a little um, survey that I send out when I start with a new family and ask any of the caregivers that will be involved in the sessions to fill out a, like a learning style survey. So I could learn what kind of learner they are. And then I share my results of the study so that you know where I'm coming from. Like, you know, what kind of learner I am. Cause all of my teaching is going to come from my perspective until I know how I need to do it for you to make it make sense for you. So that was a big hump of figuring out how do we sort of how do I figure out where these parents are at and what their, not only what kind of learner they are, but also what their capacity for learning is, right? What their educational mm-hmm. levels are, what, where I need to start in figuring out what they need to know. Um, but that was a really exciting sort of um, new challenge in a career of feeling like, you know, I feel like I've got the therapy part down and now, whoa, it's all different again. It's all changed again. So Um, And then about three months ago, I started working for UCSF Benioff Children's Hospital, Oakland, Um, and we, it's an audiology program. So I work directly for audiology, not in the speech and language department. So I only see children with hearing loss. Um, And I was hired specifically for a study that is looking at the um, benefit of telehealth services. So my job is completely remote and I only see kids um, virtually. The kids are who go as part of the study can be from birth to 27 months, and then they're kind of split into three groups. So one group is 
a group of families that have adequate resources, adequate funding to seek out services that they need. The other group of families are more vulnerable families based on family income, um, parent education levels, access to healthcare, any of that. And then those two groups are split and half of them are randomized to teletherapy services with me. So I see half of those children, the other half is sort of acting as the control group, and all of the children who participate in this study get three full evaluations, so at enrollment, at nine months, and at 18 months. So it's over a three-year period of time, and we're just looking to see, does this extra layer of services beyond their customary care with their school district or county or however they're receiving services, does what we offer really make a difference in the outcomes of their speech and language at the end? So. It'll be exciting to see what happens with that. That is exciting. So, so some choose to be tele-intervention. And They're randomized families, to so, intervention. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so who, who's providing in-person therapy? Nobody. Nobody. So this is only about, yeah, it's not comparing in-person versus telehealth. It's comparing just, comparing just the extra layer of telehealth. Just the extra layer. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. There's awesome. nothing to stop them from seeking out services elsewhere. But the way right. we set it, oh, I didn't set it up. The way the very smart people who set it up set it up is to make sure that the families who have the access and resources and funding financial to do that can can get those services elsewhere. Well, what are you seeing so far? <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, We're just know. enrolling students, so I think, or uh, participants. We have um maybe three enrolled, and we're just starting to do the evaluations on those. So this is a multi-site study. It's our Mm -hmm. hospital, um, UCSF Children's Hospital in San Francisco, Stanford, Rady Children's Hospital, and Seattle Children's Hospital. So we're all just, July was the goal start date, and we got Mm -hmm. a few in, but we're just really ramping up and getting ready to go. So it'll all be coming soon. Yeah. Yeah. I love too that you um that the study included uh the different groups of of kids too that it's not just like well the ones that would already go out and get therapy is it going to be beneficial to them but also those at risk families that I feel like you know usually are the ones that can benefit the most from getting right. those extra services are the ones that have the hardest time accessing it right. so I love that it included both populations mm-hmm. in that. And that'll right. be interesting I, to see the difference. Yeah, I think that was probably one of the most important parts of the study to the people setting it up was looking at you know, the area around that are is served by Children's Hospital Oakland, Oakland and that whole surrounding area. Um, you know, there's a wide variety of people, but there are a lot of people who are not native English speakers or um, you know, lower income socioeconomic status. And there's mm-hmm the access is so difficult. And so that was a really important part of this was making sure that access is equitable to all of these populations. And we make sure to include everyone in it. So it's an exciting part of it. I wanted to ask you about the baby talk uh, project. Uh, Was that the project using iPads at one point? Yes, it still is. Yeah. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. So they send an iPad to every family who, at at the time that they set it up, this is my understanding of it, at Mm -hmm. least. At the time they set it up, um, FaceTime was actually the most secure process to have confidential conversations like this. Um, So they had to use Apple products. Most of the families did not have Apple products at their homes. So they were Mm -hmm. able to get a grant to, to supply those to all the families who were participating in the program. 
um, some families opted to use their own and that was fine. But um, yeah. And then they're, they're still using FaceTime. So I had to switch over to being using Zoom now. And I think Zoom has, you know, because of the pandemic has certainly increased their security and options over time. So. Well, that's always been a challenge because you, you can't get a direct answer from Apple <laughs> about HIPAA compliance and Zoom. Yeah. I mean, excuse me, HIPAA compliance and FaceTime. FaceTime. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've seen some things written up saying, for these reasons, we believe it is HIPAA compliant. But I've never read anything from Apple that says FaceTime meets those criteria. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people assume that it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I, yeah, I don't know that that's an interesting thought because as, as time has gone on from that point to now, smartphones are a priority for mm-hmm. most everyone. Right. So even as we're enrolling these very vulnerable families in this program, part of the requirements, they have to have access to zoom. They have to have something to mm-hmm. meet with us on. And I would say of the families I'm seeing for therapy, 90% of them use their phone. So it's not, it's not a barrier any longer to feel like they don't have access through a piece of equipment. Yeah. I think, you know, I was just, I mentioned this the other day, I think, but uh, I was just reading where the, uh, this futurist was saying that, you know, in the next few years, the, the main device that we will all use is going to be our handheld phone. So it's all going to evolve in a sense Mm -hmm. where everything is going to be through your phone or through that piece of technology that also has phone capability. (laughs) Interesting. Uh, And so it could be that you stick that device in, you know, some type of uh, holder that connects to a monitor that you want when you want to work on a keyboard or then you take it and you can use it for your phone or then you can take it and whatever, you know, but it's, it's going to be one device is wow. basically what they're saying. Um, that's sort of what they think in the next five years that everyone will just be doing everything through this, your phone based they're, they're describing a, a phone, <laughs> right. but they basically say a handheld device, you know, that has phone capability. Um, yeah. So it's interesting to see where it goes because most of my, me too, in terms of my families, quite a large number of them interact through their phone. And so uh, for those kids that are slightly older, where you're kind of going beyond sort of the parent coaching, then you're wanting to do more direct interaction with the child. They're looking at this little screen, you know, and it's, it can be challenging to keep them, you know, focused and do activities when you're looking at this little screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it can be challenging. It can be great if it's just doing parent coaching, cause I can see and interact. That's fine. But when it comes down to interacting directly with the child, then it becomes a little more problematic. Yeah. It's even, I mean, sometimes it is difficult even doing, you know, caregiver coaching and trying to have them manage a phone and a child. And if the child's not, you know, in a high chair or some sort of secure Mm -hmm. seating, then they're running all over the place. It's part of life. This is how it goes. And this is what this sort of therapy is, but it can, you know, sometimes I get a little dizzy when the phone goes running by and I see ceiling (laughs) fans and, you know, closet go by or whatever. So, 
Yeah. Oh yeah. I've I've uh, gone into potty training situations. Oh. <laughs> when I grab the device and run down the hall because the kid yeah. is saying he has to go potty. I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> Here's another language learning opportunity. <laughs> so um, any tips on navigating that whole we're doing therapy on the phone thing? I mean, I just I just try to set up from the very beginning the expectations of what we're here for. Um, some parents come into therapy with the kind of older idea of thinking like, here's my child, please fix them. And now it's like, here's the child through my phone, please fix them. (laughs) And that's, we have no magic wands, right? right? That's not how it works. And we know that. So I think meeting the parents where they are and what their expectations of therapy, what their goals are of therapy from the very beginning is absolutely the most important part. Because if you can set up those expectations from the beginning, set up a rhythm to how your sessions are going to go, what it's going to be like, they know what to expect. And then you're not surprising them every time with like, Mm -hmm. you know, set up your phone again. Like it's not a big deal for me to say, oh, the phone fell down, you know, like point it out. If they're engaged in an activity, it's not a big deal because we've set up like, this is how this is going to be. This is how our interactions are going to be. We have this this device that we need to use to make it happen. And it just as part of what we do. Um, so we, I haven't confronted anything in terms of the actual technology or device use that has been challenging. Um, there's, there have been times I've asked families, you know, just like, go find a glass or something you can set your phone up against. So it's down because it, it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I can't even see what's happening, right? Like I can't give you any coaching if I can't see what your child's reactions are to what we're doing or whatever. Right. So you need but to take I, Dramamine just to some, get dizzy. <laughs> some days it feels like that. <laughs> so um, where do you want to go? So right now you're going to be, you're going to continue with the study you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that is at least three years, huh? Right. And right. so hopefully this continues to evolve even after the, study period is over and you can continue to build a, a caseload there. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I think one really important thing about this study is that we're serving our own clientele. It's We're not recruiting anyone from anywhere else or doing anything different with our own patients. It's just this added layer on top of what we're already providing as a department. Um, mm-hmm. So what I was told when I was hired is that the study is for three years, but there's no indication that there won't be a need for services after that time. So there will still be, we'll still provide the services. And what we expect the outcome, what I expect the outcomes to be is that this additional layer of services with a specialized professional teaching, listening and spoken language is going to prove to be very beneficial to these children. So the goal is that we can use that data and information to continue to provide services for families over time. And they're not going anywhere, right? These kids are always going to be around and always going to need services, um, despite what school districts provide or don't provide, um, they, this extra service is still really beneficial to families for the most part. So, Right. And, yeah. and just in general, how is the early intervention program in California for, for kids oh, with hearing loss? That's a really good question. Um, it is so hard to understand because it's so different everywhere. So mm-hmm. some... Some areas are served by the county. 
Some areas are served by the school district. Some hours areas are served by a SALPA because the districts are too small and the counties are too big. So you, every kid is like, where are they from? You figure out based on like what city they live in, what services they might have or might not have. And then you just have to dig and dig and dig. Um, we are confronting part of the study is having their I, IFSPs in place. So we have access to them and know what services they're getting, not just by parent report, but by the actual document. And mm-hmm. it is has been such a challenge just to get documentation of what they're getting. So, and of course the pandemic has thrown a wrench in all of that for all of us, but um, so many families have reported essentially not getting any services for Mm -hmm. the last year and a half, or, you know, they'll call somebody will call and make a zoom appointment with them and they'll have a half hour a month. And it's, you know, it just feels like these families that I would expect. So I'm kind of doing catch up right now until we start this study. I'm seeing some families that weren't, have not been seen for the last, you know, six months, let's say. And these families with kids that are two or two and a half. And I'm thinking, trying to gauge where you are in terms of what I need to teach the parent to facilitate language with the child. And a family that I just started seeing has a four-year-old and has never received services. They've never, you know, I said, Mm -hmm. like, did anyone ever do, you know, a listening tour in your home and do like a, an evaluation of your home environment for listening? What, what can we do to make your home environment better? And she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. She just didn't (laughs) even know. So there are so many things that I think I went, I'm going into this thinking we're starting at like level eight of, you know, a million, right? right? But we're right. starting here and parents just, they've missed all this time and all these opportunities to learn as their child was growing rather than mm-hmm. at four. Now your child has had a hearing loss for four years and you don't haven't done any of these things. You just don't know about any of these things. So right. it's really, that part is really unfortunate. I feel like we're, there's a, a big gap in what's being provided. Yeah. And I would say, I have some experience in um, California too, because that's one of the states that I am licensed in. So I've done teletherapy there and I've done two different districts and then two different settings within the districts. And I have a private client that's in California right now. And there I've heard the same things. Like I was like, was like, oh, I'm going from one district to another district in California. Like in Utah, that's pretty, they're pretty Mm -hmm. similar. Mm -hmm. Nope. They were completely different. And I've heard from my private family too. Well, I had one child in early intervention. So they're supposed to automatically at least evaluate the next child to be, to see if they need to be in early intervention. She's like, I can only get an answering machine for the past year. I have only been able to get an answering machine at the center. Yeah. And so it's something that I, I, the pandemic did happen. It's, you know, it's mm-hmm. a reason that a lot of us are struggling, but at the same time, like there's other states that, you know, just jumped in and were like, Hey, we're doing telepractice. Mm-hmm. So it's not an excuse. even. And there are some areas mm-hmm. here in California that have picked it up and right. moved on and not let these kids fall through the cracks. But the ones that have, it just feels like, Oh, these families were so cheated out of time that was right. so vital in that child's right. development. Here in Ohio, it's one hour a month is about the limit. Is just the basic standard care? That's what everyone yeah. gets. It's wow. similar, similar in Utah. Wow. Yep. Yep. And they just, you know, they say because we're parent coaching, 
this is what you need, you get an hour. I, I mean, I don't know if it's that, that so much as it is resources, but they try to balance the, because this is very parent coaching. We can have just these resources for you. Um, I did work at Utah school for the deaf and blind for four years or five years or something. Mm-hmm. I left that out in there in the middle somewhere. Sorry about that. But it, it was really shocking to go from California, this program where, well, lack of program, right? It's just so mm-hmm. across the board and so many different things to the school for the deaf and blind that it just, here's one program. Here's, yeah. this is what you get. And it's yep. just one thing. There aren't other options. Well, some beginnings started and that gave an alternate a different option, but, um, specifically for deaf and hard of hearing kids, that was a really interesting approach to providing services. So, well, it's frustrating. It's why I'm bald. I've pulled out all my hair (laughs) worrying about the stuff. Trying to get Uh, kids services. (laughs) Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And it's, you see what, what it's done to me, you know, (laughs) Uh, okay. So Miss Molly, it's time for our moment of Zen. Okay. Are you ready for this? I'm very ready. So we have some questions we're going to ask you and you can ask, you can answer them in any way that you'd like. Okay. You can have no wrong answers. answers? No wrong answers. Okay. Okay. And we won't judge you. Okay. Thank you. I won't. But okay, I, Kim, well, judge me all you want. It's fine. Also, okay. anyone else who might listen. <laughs> okay. So what's the most used app on your phone? Oh, texts. Text messaging. Okay. What was the last TV series that you streamed? Oh, this is, you're going to judge me for this one. <laughs> Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce. It's a show you can just watch and turn your mind are, off and you don't have to listen you, to anything are you it's getting okay. ideas are you no <laughs> absolutely not my husband says the same thing <laughs> my mine is currently real housewives of salt lake city so no judgment <gasps> is there really one of them <laughs> there is it's on hulu Oh, I might have. But to I would have it. to say, don't judge us as a state by the people that are on that show. Please. Oh, I grew up there. I grew up in Salt Lake. I know. <laughs> it's good. so good. funny, though. Oh. It's so good. <laughs> okay, thank you for being in the same boat with me, Kim. Right. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Next question is: What's a favorite book? Oh, could be mm, the one. Okay. I just, I am a book listener. I do not read very often because there are too many other things to do. So I listen to books all the time. And one I just finished is called the language of flowers. Mm -hmm. And it is in brief about a young woman who grew up in foster care and had one foster parent who kind of made a real impact in her life. So we were also a foster family. So this was sort of what drew me to the book. Uh, Research has shown that children, particularly foster youth need one person at some point in their life that can be like a pivotal moment. And they will, they can draw on strength from that person, whether that person stays in their life is not or not, as long as they have that one thing. So this was the person for her and she owned a flower farm. And so they would, she taught her essentially to communicate in flowers. So flowers all have a meaning. Oh no. But this was also appealing as a language professional, mm-hmm. right? So she builds a whole business and has this very successful life based on um, creating flower arrangements and 
weddings and things like that based on what people want to communicate to their guests or their the recipient. It was a very fascinating book and I loved it. So give me an example of how flowers, how you can communicate with flowers. Okay. So one of the, um, I'm not going to remember the right connections now, but um, I remember one jonquil, which was a flower I have never heard of, mm-hmm. um, meant something along the lines of um, regret, something like that. So mm. the a child who is, who she knew in her youth living on this flower farm, um, she saw far later in life and he gave her a bouquet of jonquil as like a regret for what happened when they were young children. So people come to her, you know, the way she would formulated her business was people would come to her and say, this is what I'm essentially trying to like manifest in my life. Mm-hmm. What flowers do I need for that? She would go to the flower market in San Francisco and create a bouquet for them and give it to them. Wow. And they could communicate that way. It was really cool. It's very interesting. They wrote dictionaries of um, flower definitions. So they had wow. drawings or pictures of flowers and the definitions of them. Very interesting. Very, very, very cool. I'm going to yeah. have to check that out. Yeah. Um, let's see. If you could create one law or behavior that everyone had to do, what would it be? Mm. That is a very good one. Um, without a doubt, it would be, um, creating our, or recreating the systems of our government to be equitable. Um, I think Mm -hmm. our government is set up in a way that we are, we have over the years of our country being a country systematically made things more difficult for certain parts of our population. So Mm -hmm. the overarching theme is anti-racism and making an equitable world for everyone. Very good. I'm I'm full support. (laughs) Um, Who would you like to have dinner with dead or alive? Oh, The Obamas. Oh, that's nice. I feel like they're just like people you can sit with and, you know, sure. have a beer and a good meal and have a really good conversation with. I would agree. I would agree. What? Uh, let's see. Where is the most exotic place you've gone or the farthest place you've gone? Oh, um, not the farthest, but I'll just tell you the first thing that came to my mind is that my husband and I got married on Kauai. And mm. I had never been to Hawaii and he had been once as a child. And we just went to Hawaii and got married. Great. I loved it. It was perfect. Yeah. And and now you're watching the girlfriend's guide to. <laughs> and- Way to tie that in. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the scariest thing you've ever done? And you can define scary in any way that you'd like. Oh, the scariest thing I've ever done. Um, Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I had both of my children with no drugs. I'll, I'll do that one. That was a rough one, but it's a completely worth it. Is it really? Oh, okay. Having children in general, not, not like the no drugs part, but just having children in general is a common answer. (laughs) Well, it's continued to be scary. That is (laughs) every new step. It was my kid's first day of school today at a new school. And that's all scary, right? All those decisions and knowing why do they only offer you drugs when you're in childcare, in childbirth? (laughs) 
there's Sometimes some other things down the line. That's that right. It should be a lifelong support there. It's just like an offer. It's always yeah. on standby. Pharmaceutical <laughs> support for life. <laughs> I like it. See, we're solving all kinds of problems. We are. Um, what is a pet peeve? Oh, um, I when people don't listen, you know, when you're in a conversation with somebody and you're like, hmm, you're not hearing, well, you know, we're not we're not connecting somehow. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because you're not actually listening to what I'm saying. That's hard for me. Good, good. I like that. Uh, just two more. Um, yep. If you didn't choose your current profession, mm-hmm. what profession would you like to try? Oh, I always have said I should be a book editor and I still think I missed, missed my actual calling in life. I love it when I can like find the mistake in the, the, you know, the word is spelled wrong or there's like some inconsistency in the story. That's awesome. Yeah. You can always write and edit. So that's always good. Maybe, maybe I'm pretty happy with what I do though. Good. good. Last question. Last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Job well done. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you are doing a job well done, and we appreciate you <laughs> being you. with us. So, Molly, how can people reach out to you if they want to interact with you or ask questions about your study or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I would love to share that. My email is probably the easiest. It is molly, M-O-L-L-Y dot walker, W-A-L-K-E-R at ucsf.edu. Perfect. Well, good luck with everything that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was so nice to chat with both of you. So that is Molly Walker. We are so glad Molly was able to join us on this episode. It was great reconnecting with her. It's been a over 10 years since I've had a chance to speak with her, so it was really, really great to hear what she's doing now. It's also really great to have you with us on this podcast and being a listener and subscriber. If you are a content creator, that is, if you like writing blogs or doing webinars, or maybe even you want to teach a course, well, I want you to consider the 3C Digital Media Network. Let us work with you. If you have some ideas, we'd love to hear from you. You can email me at Todd, T-O-D-D, at 3, the number 3, C, Digital Media Network.com. We are really interested in getting more content on our website, and we would love to work with you. And so with that, we'll be back again next week, same time, same place. Until then, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.